Let's just stay in that atmosphere of worship as we pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time that we can come into your presence. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made it possible. You made the way open for us to come into your presence. Thank you for the promise that you give to us, that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are in our midst. And Lord, I pray that not only that you fill this place and this space where we broadcast from, but that you would fill every heart, every room, every living room, every home where people are leaning into you right now to worship. We long for you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We pray that as we give our whole self, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to you in worship, as we lean into you, as we open ourselves to you, O oh God, that you would fill and be with each one. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Praise Center, it's so good to be able to be with you again. I can't believe that it was already, it's already been six weeks since uh, I was last here and Last time that I joined you, uh, this auditorium was full. There were two services that were completely full, and it was such a joy to be with you that day. My wife uh, was meant to join me that day, and unfortunately, she had a little cough in her throat, and we thought, well, better not uh, come along. So we said, next time, next time, Justine will come with me. And uh, here we are, and <laughs> we're in lockdown um, but we're just so glad that uh, you uh, can join in, and uh, as we said earlier, so great that we have the technology to be able to still gather and to be, still be able to worship together and to, uh, to learn and to hear God's heart as we open His Word together. Um, so thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting uh, me into your church and into your home, and, in, and uh, we just pray that right now as we open up God's Word, that His Holy Spirit would empower His Word to speak to you right where you're at. And we do hope, of course, that um, lockdown won't uh, last longer than it needs to be, that as soon as possible we could return to, well, I guess a new normal, a new normal. Uh, not too long ago, I, uh, so speaking of normal, uh, not too long ago, I experienced something that is sort of out of the ordinary. Uh, I was summoned for jury duty, and uh, it was my first time ever. So it was quite fascinating, the process, even though it was a long, full day at court, it was quite fascinating uh, going through jury selection process. And that particular day, at the end of the day, I was not... Uh, selected, I was excused, um, but the case just stuck with me for, for days afterwards, actually. Uh, it was a young woman who claimed that she had been raped by her ex-boyfriend when she went over to his house to collect her things, and the young man pleaded not guilty. Now, this is uh, it's a very current issue for us, isn't it, in, in our uh, climate of um, society and politics right now, it was just another sad reminder to me uh, that these things happen 
far more often than we uh, care to hear or think about. That there are allegations uh, right up to the highest offices of a national parliament. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 200,000 Australians over the age of 15, so that's 1.1% of our population, were sexually assaulted in the previous 12 months. Women, seven times more often than men. And young girls between 10 and 14, almost another four times more often than women. And that is just the cases that are reported. So how many keep quiet and suffer silently? And literally, lives are at stake. If you think about someone who survives such an experience, the physical and emotional toll on victims, the mental health issues lingering for years afterwards, and in some cases, as we have heard, leading to suicide. And then on the flip side, lives and livelihoods are also at stake for the accused. For example, there was a well-publicized case in America where a standout high school athlete was accused by a classmate of rape. He was immediately expelled and then in court facing a possible 41 years to life in prison his lawyer advised him to plead no contest. And so he took a plea bargain that included five years in prison, five years probation afterwards, and being registered as a sex offender. So for this young man, that meant no college, no possibility of being eventually drafted into the NFL, no career in sport, in fact, no career Because who is going to hire a felon? That girl and her mother successfully sued the high school for $1.5 million. But nine years later, captured on, on recording, on tape, she confessed that she had made the whole thing up. And so 10 years after the fact, this young man was finally exonerated, but essentially he'd lost 10 years of the best years of his life, which he can never get back. So like I said, on both sides of the equation, lives are literally at stake. And what if you were selected for the jury for such a case or any such similar case? In a court trial to determine right or wrong, innocence or guilt, how do you decide between he said, she said? And as compelling as their own voices may be, There has to be more evidence, other witnesses, some other testimony beyond his word against hers, because so much is at stake. I want you to feel the weight of that for a moment. 
Because even if you aren't on the jury, there's still the court of public opinion, which can be just as ruinous, just as devastating if the judgment is wrong. And so lives and livelihoods are at stake, and that affects at least 1.1% of Australians. Now, we're working through the Gospel of John. And as you've been going through that as a church, you will know that Jesus also makes some very weighty claims. Claims that are also a matter of life and death. Consequences even more serious and even more long-lasting than what we've just been talking about. And this time, not only affecting 1% of Australians, but 100% of all people everywhere. Jesus claims, if you think back, remember back over the, the past few weeks, and if you, you missed it or you want to catch up and you need, or you need to catch up, you can do that, of course, when you go to the Praise Center YouTube channel. Remind yourself, go over this again, read it in the Bible again. But Jesus claims... To Nicodemus in chapter 3, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus claimed to the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask Him, and He would give you living water. And Jesus heals the royal official's son from a distance. He didn't even need to be there. And Jesus heals the invalid, crippled for 38 years. And when questioned by the Jewish leaders, Jesus claims earlier in chapter 5, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus claims to be from God, to be the Son of God, To be one with the Father in will, word, and deed. To have power over life. To give life to whomever he is pleased. To have all authority to, to judge the living and the dead and determine eternal destinies. To exonerate or condemn every human being according to his just judgment. And if Jesus' claims are true, then this is a matter of life and death. And eternal life and death for every single person. So is, is this a, a matter that any of us can really afford to ignore him? We each have to make a determination to accept Or reject this Jesus. But then with so many competing 
claims, even in Jesus' day. Other religions, alternative messiahs, different worldviews and philosophies, who can you trust? And when it comes to Jesus and his, and his claims, is it just Jesus' word against someone else's, anyone else's? Who can you trust? And this is important because like we said before, it's a matter of life and death. In our passage this morning, Jesus speaks to exactly this question. If it was a court trial, should you believe him? Can he be trusted? Is there any other evidence to back up his claims? And so we're going to look at this in John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. I would invite you, wherever you are right now, to open up your Bibles and turn to, please, John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. And we are going to look at that in a few different portions uh, together in just a moment. But as you are turning there to John chapter 5, I'm just going to give you a brief preview that Jesus basically says in this passage, essentially there are four other witnesses who speak for him, not just his own claims about himself. And I want to talk about each one of those briefly in the context of Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. But then also explore, explore what are the implications for us today in modern Melbourne 2021. Where, of course, we live in a society where there are just as many competing religions, worldviews, and philosophies. So who's right? Who can you trust? How do we decide fairly and objectively? The four sources that we're going to look at, the four testimonies that Jesus mentions, are first of all, John the Baptist in verses 33 to 35. His works, Jesus' works, in verse 36. God the Father himself, in verses 37 to 38. And then scripture. And of course, in that day, speaking to the Jews of that day, uh, their scriptures were the old, what we call the Old Testament, and, and particularly the authority that they gave to uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, what they called the Torah, which was written by Moses. And so that's in verses 39 to 47. So we're going to work through this uh, passage really, really quickly. But first of all, I want you to notice that in verses 30 to 32, This is how Jesus starts off. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true, it's not valid, it's not, you can't just rely on that. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. So Jesus starts off by conceding that for people then and now to objectively weigh his claims. We do need more than just what he says. 
in a court trial today, my word against yours is not enough. There does need to be further evidence. And in biblical times too, in Jesus' day, two or three witnesses were needed to convict a person. They lived, they tried to live according to the Old Testament law. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so as we discover, as we will we'll continue to as we read on, as Jesus goes on, he doesn't just give two or three, he goes over and above that, he gives four. So here's the first one. John the Baptist, in verses 33 to 35, Jesus says, you, speaking to the Jewish leaders that are opposing him, you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept or need to accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. John the Baptist publicly identified Jesus as the, as the Lamb of God, the Spirit-anointed Son of God. If we were to go back to uh, chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, and you might remember this, but in verse 29, uh, John started out by saying, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And finishes and concludes in verse 34 with this. He says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So that's actually in the New Testament. But other than what's in the New Testament, first century Roman Jewish historian Josephus records that the ministry of John the Baptist generated considerable messianic excitement. In Jesus' day, it provoked uh, enthusiastic joy and anticipation that God's chosen one was coming. And so there was this high expectation for God's promised Messiah because of the preaching of John the Baptist. And evidently, the Jewish leaders, even the Jewish leaders, gave him credit. As Jesus says, you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So that's the first witness that Jesus calls on. The second witness in verse 36 is his works. Jesus says, okay, there's John the Baptist, but verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. By, by works, Jesus is referring to his miracles, the things he has done, all of which are signs, signs that he is indeed who he says he is. And already in just five and a half chapters preceding in the Gospel of John, Jesus has already prophetically seen Nathan, uh, sorry, Nathaniel, under a fig tree 
uh, without even being physically there. He's seen it, and then he tells Nathaniel about it. I, I saw this. That's, that's correct, isn't it, Nathaniel? And Nathaniel's like, how did you know? Jesus has already changed water into wine. He has cleansed the temple courts of money changers and animal sellers. He has purified the house of God. He has taught Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. He supernaturally knew the Samaritan woman at the well had been married five times and was living with a sixth. And he has healed the official son from a distance and he has made the 38-year crippled man walk again. And Jesus will go on in the rest of the Gospel of John to feed the 5,000, to walk on water, to heal a man born blind. He will raise Lazarus from the dead and he will accurately predict his betrayal and death multiple times. This is, this is the ultimate. Jesus will die on a cross exactly as he predicted and three days later, rise from the grave exactly as he predicted. These are not the words and actions of just any man. What other person in all of human history has said and done anything close to what Jesus did? If we're honest, there is none. So that's the second witness that Jesus calls upon, his works. The third witness that Jesus calls upon is in verses 37 to 38. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. But you never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. God himself has spoken for Jesus. Remember when Jesus was baptized and as he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. Now, in John's gospel, which we're reading, that incident, at that incident, it's John the Baptist who testifies. Let me read for you from John chapter 1, verses 32 to 34. Then John the Baptist gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, on Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this Jesus is God's chosen one. But in the other three Gospels, at Jesus' baptism, God speaks. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And if you were to read that parallel account in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, it's almost exactly the same words. God speaks. And not just once, not just at the baptism, but later on in the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, we read this, that God the Father speaks again. Jesus prays, he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And then in verse 29, the crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. So God speaks. The people hear, but they dismiss it. The Holy Spirit comes in recognizable form, but they choose not to acknowledge Which is why in our passage here in chapter 5, Jesus rebukes them. He says, the Father, God has testified, but you never heard his voice, nor saw his form, nor have his word dwell in you, because you still don't believe. So we've got John the Baptist, Jesus' works and miracles, and God the Father. And the fourth witness that Jesus calls upon, the final witness that Jesus points to, that, that, that he says speaks for him, that vouches for him, that verifies that Jesus indeed is from God and, and speaks the truth, that final witness is Scripture. Now, in the context that we're reading, we've got to remember who Jesus is talking to here. If you flip back in your Bibles, just probably a page or two, to the very beginning of this conversation, you will see in chapter 5, verse 16, that Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders who are persecuting him. These are devoutly religious people. They're sincere. They are wholly committed to their faith, they are learned, they are well-schooled in their scriptures. And and like we said earlier, uh, what we refer to as the Old Testament, but in particularly the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, that was their scriptural authority. And Jesus says to them, if you read with an open mind, you would see that the scriptures are all about him. Moses points to Jesus, but they don't believe. Verses 39 and 40, Jesus says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures, the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Why? What is it that so hardens their hearts 
and keeps them from seeing and responding to the truth. Well, Jesus tells us. He actually goes on in verses 41 to 44. Jesus says, I do not accept, I don't need glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you don't accept me. But if someone else comes in their own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Why is it that so many of us as human beings reject or ignore Jesus? Because, Jesus says, because we care more about approval from people rather than from God. We care more about what others think of us than to love God. And so if a politician or a political party or a celebrity or an influencer or a reporter or a journalist or a colleague or a friend or your family member, just anyone we vaguely admire, if they say something, say anything, we'll just go, oh, yeah. And we repost it and we retweet it and we just swallow it whole. No fact-checking, no reference to any other source or points of view. We just accept and go along with it and then bask in the praise of political correctness and of those who agree. But then when it comes to Jesus, we go, hmm. Don't know, don't care. Not particularly interested in what God thinks. And so how sharp and how spot on is Jesus to say, I know you. Someone else comes in their own name and you accept them. You accept glory from one another, but you don't seek approval from God. You don't have love for God. In your hearts. What do we do with this in modern day Melbourne 2021? Again, with so many competing religions, worldviews, philosophies, and an increasing number of people identifying as having no religion, who can you trust? More specifically, can Jesus be trusted? Is he to be believed? So, in summary, what we've just looked at, here are the four testimonies about Jesus that Jesus points to beside his own. And just for a moment, I'm going to move Moses to the top. Because essentially, John the Baptist and Moses are authorities that you accept. Then, with works, these are Jesus' miracles, and in particular, his ultimate work of his death and resurrection that he predicted, and it happened exactly as he predicted. Thirdly, 
God the Father, the, the voice and the visible spirit of God, what we, of what we can hear and see of God at work, this is the Holy Spirit at work in our day. And then finally, Scripture, of course, for us is the Bible. So remember, in context, Jesus is speaking in this passage to hostiles who are devoted to their own way. Now, you may not necessarily be hostile to Jesus, but you may still be pretty committed to your own current viewpoint and simply not that interested in examining or being open or willing to budge. Nevertheless, the challenge of Jesus then and now is in these four areas. Who are the authorities that you accept, that you buy into? Have you noticed that every major and minor religion, worldview, philosophy has to and has tried to explain Jesus and his claims? So if your accepted authorities are grappling with how to explain, how to include or exclude Jesus, why would you dismiss Jesus without a second thought? If you consider yourself non-religious, that you're a rational thinker, that you rely on science and evidence. I want to put to you, again, there is so much evidence beyond Jesus' own words. Then be rational and scientific. Examine the evidence. Don't ignore it or gloss over it. See where that leads you. Secondly, the miracles of Jesus. Now, these are best recorded for us in the Bible, but not just in the Bible. Secular historians from Jesus' time have also documented that he was a miracle worker and a healer. So how do you explain the miracles of Jesus? And in particular, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Who else in all of human history has done that? And when it comes to God at work, the Holy Spirit at work in our, in, in our world that we can tangibly see and point to, how do you explain the transformed lives of countless followers of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit? Habitual liars start telling the truth. Cheaters come clean. Unfaithful spouses become devoted. Lazy workers work hard. Self-centered individuals show compassion and care and generosity. Christians facing the most devastating tribulations of illness, persecution, setbacks, loss, and even death are still able to have peace and joy and hope. And this is not just isolated instances. This is Over and over, throughout history and all over the world, millions, billions changed. But each one still individual stories of God shining through, perhaps someone that you know. And then in terms of the Bible, 
Have you honestly searched and grappled with what the Bible says about Jesus? And if not, is it perhaps because you're afraid of what people might think? That you want certain people to think well of you, and if you started to give credence to the Bible, they would think you're crazy. They would cut you off. They would dismiss you. That you want the approval of other people more than you want the truth, more than you want God's approval to know Him and to love Him. Here's the evidence, the witnesses. In the end, though, it's not about philosophy, even though it is about the truth. No matter whether you are a Christian or not, believer for a long time or a short time, the truth matters. Because if what Jesus says is true, then, and if all these other witnesses testify to him as a credible and honest and, and, and one to be believed, then this is a matter of life and death, yours and mine, in this life and in eternity. And Jesus says, He will give life. He alone has the power and authority to give life to those who honor and accept Him and condemn those who refuse and reject Him. So here's the bottom line. Pursue the person of Jesus in covenant relationship. There are so many witnesses who testify to him. We can trust him. You can trust him. Jesus says he loves you. He died for you. He forgives you. He cleanses you. He restores you. Jesus says, come to me and have life. Come to me and have life. So let's come to him now in prayer. Lord, your word, empowered by your spirit, has power. Jesus, you say that you know us, every single one of us, right where we're at. And I pray that those who are listening right now would sense the truth and the conviction and the power and the presence of your spirit because you love us and you want us to have life. So may the truth set us free, each one. Lord Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen.